0: You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Good morning. All of you, once again, invite you to take out your scriptures. Hopefully, you have a Word of God. You know, there's visitors with us. Glad you're here. Welcome again. If you don't have a Bible, we have them scattered throughout. Um, Make sure you get one. Some smaller print, some larger print. We want you to have your own copy of God's Word that you can study it not only today, but tomorrow, which is Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, that you would be fed daily with the Word of God. This is good that we come together, but we want you to be fed and nourished. Nourish your family and be nourished together. So Judges 6 is where you can head to. In that Word is where we will be and on your way there we have got a picture from last week from one of the three amigos that are turning pictures into me weekly, and I thank you for that. There are, we did find the clipboards, so if you've got youngins and they haven't been around, we found them, and uh, you can use those. There's a bunch of crayons in the back. Adults, we won't tell, but this one is from Lincoln. Where's Lincoln? There he is. Okay, Lincoln's got this one this week, and last week we were looking at the first part of Judges 6. Remember the Midianites were the oppressor now, Israel was an evil, they had done evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Midianites come and oppress them, and they had to basically hide their goods in the caves, and so Lincoln, I think, drew a picture of the stairs and maybe a den or a cave, I'm pretty sure that's a Midianite on the right, maybe hacking off the harvest or something like that, they would come and just devastate the land like locusts, so thank you, Lincoln, got that, so... And then God spoke to them. He spoke in his word. He said, remember, I'm the one that brought you, I gave you, I did all this. You have not obeyed my voice. And that's kind of where we left it, and then we're going to pick up this week. So if you look at your word in front of you, God's word, Judges 6, I'm going to begin in verse 11. We'll go through verse 24. Let's listen to what God has to say in his word. After all this, now. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abierzite, Abizerite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least In my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abier's rites. Let's pray. Father, as we come now to your word once again, we're praying for your spirit to reveal what you have for us in the study of it. Lord, who is sufficient, to preach but we go forward in the power of the spirit and we trust that you who wrote these words and who impressed them on the hearts of the writers of long ago will preserve your word and will do the work you intend through your word it is the authority in our lives for it is your word may we trust it it is an ancient word and it's a current word and you have been faithful to preserve it for us thank you lord what a gift Sixty-six books contained of your grace and your redemption in Christ. Lead us to him today as we study it. In your name, amen. Well, it's really hard sometimes, I think, to see through the fog of life. There's There's a noise, there's a clamor of the world around us, maybe our own thoughts of weakness unless God would graciously work in our lives to make us see Him, to have a vision for the Lord. Even as we worship together, there's a taste of that. There's a taste of seeing the Lord. And unless the Lord does a gracious work in our lives, He calls us to see Him and to view Him. And I hope as we go through here, you get a vision for who the Lord is as Gideon did as well, because that's who God reveals himself to in this word. He reveals himself by His words and by His power to Gideon. Did you catch it? This is Gideon, the, the lowly one, the weak, the least. That's who God calls to go. Be, why? Because God does the sending, and then Gideon is comforted in his going, because God is His peace and will be with him. God does the sending. God will be with him. And so we just want to just kind of go verse by verse, look through this section and glean what the Lord would have us through these different verses. So head back to verse 11. As we re-enter. now, we come back. So we've read the whole thing. You've You've got an idea of what's going on. We're back to a nation under the consequence of sin. That's where they're at. And here the next deliverer is coming on the scene. Look at verse 11. Now, character setting is set here. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abier's right. That's a hard one for some reason. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And once again, we're back to this angel of the Lord. Uh, maybe your version says messenger of the Lord. The, the, the Hebrew here, I was talking with Malachi yesterday, it's, it's really malach, jehovah malak is is angel or messenger and then jehovah or the lord maybe you've got the capitals l-o-r-d for yahweh messenger of yahweh or angel of yahweh some put it the esv does i see this here again not as an angel but an appearance of the lord himself i don't know if it's an early visitation of christ or not i'm not sure on that but it it sure seems to appear that this is God Himself rather than an angel of some sort here. Here's what one commentary says, kind of to back this up. No, No prophet, so is this just a prophet, kind of a messenger? No prophet ever identifies himself so entirely with God as the angel of Jehovah does here. The prophets always distinguish between themselves and Jehovah by introducing their words with the declaration, thus saith the Lord, or z- thus saith Jehovah, as the prophet mentioned in Judges 6-8 is said to have done. We, we saw that before la- last week. And I think as the text proceeds, and you've already read it now with me, we're going to see Gideon himself confirm the Lord is among him. And we find the Lord sitting under this terebinth, or oak tree, at Ophrah. It's not Oprah, it looks like it. It's Oprah, and uh, here he is. And the, geographically, we're basically back where we were with um, uh, Barak and Sisera and Deborah and that hole in the Jezreel Valley. We're not too far, I don't think, from where that battle took place. So northern Israel would be the location, if that helps you know again where we're at. As for this tree, this terebinth, I'm not sure a terebinth, but there's you could also could be oak. Some sort of tree. There's some speculation there's even religious significance to these trees. But it's hard to tell here. Later on, we're going to find Gideon's dad has an altar to Baal. So it's not hard to imagine. Here's here's some sort of sacred tree and here's the God of the universe, the Lord of creation, kind of just maybe sitting down like, I am the Lord over every foreign god. I don't know, but maybe there's some even religious significance to the tree. But near the tree is where we find our next judge, the next name Gideon. We'll, we'll be studying Gideon for a little while here and looking into his life as we, as we look through this. But here we, we meet Gideon, and he's threshing wheat in a wine press. He's doing the threshing of the wheat in a place where you're supposed to be making wine. And the text tells us why that's so odd and why he might be doing that, because he's trying to hide it from the Midianites. And so Midian continues to oppress Israel. We see the same thing that we saw last week. and So not only is Gideon trying to hide the harvest there in the winepress, you know, and do whatever he does to thresh out the wheat, one writer even comments it's a pretty small harvest just to have it all in a winepress. Perhaps, maybe that's the case. But here it is. And so we find Gideon as well. Remember the people of Israel? They were brought low. Israel was brought very low. Here's Gideon amongst them, brought low, trying to hide his wheat. But in this same place of loneliness, God is going to do something amazing. Look at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Gideon, and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. It's great. God doesn't ask permission to speak. Hey, Gideon, is this a good time to talk? Are you? It looks like you're busy. God just speaks, doesn't he? The Lord is with you. He just announces. There's there's little warning. There's a huge message. It's this message: The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Now, it it seems like only Gideon heard the first phrase for now. Maybe he didn't catch the mighty man of valor part. He's he's on that first phrase because look at verse 13 then. Here's his response to this interaction. Verse 13, Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And it's at this point, I think Gideon here, he fails to recognize just who is before him. Your version might say, he might address this angel, uh, Gideon said to him, please, you might a, have in there, please, Lord, or maybe it says, my Lord. Um, ESV has, sir. It, it seems like this is a polite address. Please, sir. So he's not yet recognizing who is before him. He doesn't realize Yahweh is before him. But the questions of Gideon begin and they start the two of them here why has all this happened if god is with us so god's with us what do you mean why is all this happened and then secondly god's with us where i don't see the mighty deeds where are they all gideon can see is devastation that's what he sees for the moment and it doesn't look like the lord is with anyone in israel that's in some ways true, isn't it? I mean, he's, he's, he's left them to their consequence of their sin, but yet as we looked at last week, His grace is still at work in bringing them back to Himself. He is with, and His words say, the Lord is with you. And in the darkness of our own suffering, whether or not it's due to our sin or not, the light of the Lord is really hard to see. I don't see the Lord at work. And in fact, we become our own judges. We begin to judge the situation. I don't think God is at work. I don't see Him at work. But we need to be on guard lest we doubt God's working power, especially when prayers just seem unanswered. I don't, see, I don't think God's at work. I think He's not answering prayer. Or life just finds us wanting, finds us needy, maybe rather than well-supplied. God's work goes on in the midst of the suffering believer. And we have eyes to see Him at work, to trust Him. The Lord is with you. So Gideon questions if God is truly present. If that's the case, why this? Where? Where is He? But instead of God going, well, here's why and here's where and let me prove it to you, What's God's answer in verse 14? The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not, I send you. I love how God just doesn't answer Gideon strictly according to his questions, does he? Gideon asked, you know, why is this? Where are you? God says, go and save. Just go do this. God's not subject to our questions. I don't, I don't think it's wrong to ask. I think we can, we can ask, but He doesn't have to answer our every question. He just says, go. He calls to go. He sends, so go. But what does it mean here then for Gideon to, as it says there, go in this might of yours? What, is, what does that mean? I want to just take a kind of a stab at it. I'm not able to be like super dogmatic here, but trying to look at this word or this phrase in this might of yours go in this might of yours it it seems it could have the idea here of like go in your capacity to act or in other words God's saying to Gideon go with the ability I've given you whatever it is no matter how small go in your capacity to go so whatever the measure of faith, as we look about in the New Testament, or, or serving in the strength that God supplies, that's how Gideon is to go. Go in this might. Go with what you have. So God does the sending. We're simply to go. We trust Him to grant what we need for the task. And moms and everybody else, this is good news for us. Go in the capacity and ability God has given you for the task. Whatever gifts and strength God has given you, we go in that. You may not have moms. You may not have what other moms have. You have what you have for your tribe, for your family, or dads, or fill in the blank. It's what God has given you to go. So what do you do? You go with it. You use it. That's how Gideon's to go. And then Gideon, as we move on, he asks a familiar question by seemingly many of those called in Scripture, how? How's this supposed to be? Look at verse 15. So, the Lord's command is go and say, verse 15, Gideon replies, he said to him, please, Lord... How can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So we go from why to where. Now another question, how? How can God save with the weakest and the least? So God not only brought Israel low, but now He is finding, seemingly, the lowest among them, according to Gideon. And that's who God calls. Isn't that just... Of the Lord to do that. He doesn't find the strongest one left. It's Gideon perceivingly, you know, looking at, I'm I'm the weakest, I'm the least. And that's who God comes to. Let's use that one. And we'll see that play out, I think, in his in his life later on in, in the battle that will ensue. God does it for his glory. And so God graciously then answers Gideon in verse 16, where he says to this claim, I'm weakest and least. The Lord said to him in verse 16, but I will be with you. We just need to be reminded of that phrase. All, all of us. Lord, how do I do this? How do I shepherd a people? How do you do your work? How do you honor the Lord? How do, you avant- how do, you, how do I mother, father? I will be with you. And he says to Gideon, you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So why, why can the weakest and the least save? Because of the Lord's answers. Because of who is with Him. And the answer continues, then you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So Gideon, God is with them, but Gideon's not going to be on the sideline just kind of waiting. Gideon still must go. You, your commission is still there. Go, I'm sending you but I'm with you. And here he will go as one man. And I I think we'll see this fulfilled in the battle of Midian. Perhaps it's even, we see it as there's 300 trumpeteers in this battle. I've never directed a band, but it seems like it might be hard to get 300 people blowing trumpets all over the place to to go at the same time. And it's as if one man proceeds in the battle. And so I think we can even see God God even fulfills this later on. But the call here is for Gideon. He needs to go. God's sending him. He'll be with him. It's a wonderful truth for us to get a hold of. Go. Two letters. Go. For God goes with you. Just application. What, what would our lives look like? And I'm not claiming you don't believe this. I think we would all say, do you believe that? Do you believe God is with you? Yeah, He's with you. I'm just asking, what if we really believed God, the God we exalted, the God we sang about, the God that created everything around us, and we knew that that God was with us, and we believed that, where might we go, or what might we do? What a thought. What a Lord who's with us. Well, now Gideon, after some of his questions, the why, the where, the how, I think he's starting to mull this over, and he's got now a bigger question to ask, and we find it in, I'll read a a little bit more, 17 through 19 here. See if you can kind of weed out what his question is, even though there's not a maybe a quote-unquote question in here. See if you can see what Gideon's trying to get at. So verse 17, and he said to him, this is Gideon saying to um, the Lord here, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them." Gideon seeks a sign. Did you kind of catch what he's trying to get? What's Gideon's question here? I think he's asking who is calling. Just who is this now that's saying, go, oh, I, I need some confirmation. Maybe, maybe he even says, I, I think I know. The text here doesn't condemn him for asking. even you know, It seems like it takes a lot of questions to get Gideon to move. But I think we can appreciate getting Gideon trying to figure out who's calling. It's a land of foreign gods and foreign worship going on. So maybe Gideon just wants to make sure. I don't want to listen to some other. Is this the Lord? Is this our covenant God, the Yahweh? Is that who's calling? Is that who's asking me to go? And so Gideon asked in verse 18, he needs time to prepare. Maybe, maybe it's an offering, I'm not sure, or a tribute or... or I'm not sure. One one commentary alluded Gideon uh, alluded to Gideon just gathering these things up and bringing them and hoping for some sign. You know, I'll, I'll bring this and I don't know what will happen, but let's let's see. I'm asking, is there a sign here? What's clear in verse 19 is what it cost Gideon. Think about this. Look at what he used. He made these unleavened cakes. From an ephah of flour, and since we don't know ephah, right? Our our versions help us. What does it say down there? Three fifths of a bushel. Now, some of you are like, I exactly know that. Some of you not. Uh, or 22 liters, if you have a two liter of pop. Okay, now we ca- now we got an idea of maybe how much. Maybe this was somewhere around 40 pounds, give or take, of flour. This was no offering, I don't think, out of abundance. Remember the situation that Gideon and and the rest of Israel are in? Crops up in the caves? This is some serious offering here. Midian's ransacked the land, and so for Gideon to make this offering, I think it shows the seriousness. Gideon wants to know who is speaking to me. The who here matters. And so God then in verse 20, sets up the sign. Look at verse 20. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes, put them on this rock, pour the broth over them, and he did so. I I don't know. I don't know if this is what Gideon had in in mind. You know, as he's like, whoa, we're going to put this on the rock. I thought this was for you, to, I don't know, to eat. I'm not sure. But, but what is significant here is Gideon does. He did so. It kind of looks like just small words right in the, at the end of verse 20. He did so. Not, are you sure the rock? You know, or where? Or questions? Just He did it. He put them where he was told. No questions. And so then verse 21. As We've already read it, but here it is. Then... The angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand, touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. We learn in Hebrews 12, our God is a consuming fire. I think as we even look back in Old Testament, we see may, maybe there's a parallel, at least I'm thinking in Leviticus 9. I wonder if that's here, maybe what God is showing. It just, just a brief background there, back in Leviticus, there's Aaron and his sons, the priests. They're coming near the altar to make atonement for the congregation. There's some elaborate sacrifice and offering, and the altar's got the blood on it. And Amidst all of that, we find these verses here in Leviticus 9. It says, Then Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them. He came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. Here it is. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed, same word, consumed, the burnt offering, and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. They knew who was there. Our God is a consuming fire. Gideon's questions, who's calling, who's speaking, he's answered with consuming fire. And now he's got one more question. Look at verse 22. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Gideon's response, there's both faith here, O Lord God. Gideon perceived it's an angel of the Lord. And then as we're going to see in the context, just the next verse tells us there is a response of faith fear here because if this is the lord i'm seeing him face to face what happens when you see the lord face to face exodus 33 answers that god told moses you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live what's gideon asking he realizes i think his unworthiness before the lord he's seeing him face to face Am I about to die? That's a question. I'm right before the Lord. Will I die? One commentator, Dale Davis, he says this, We Western Christians do not understand Gideon's agony. Such talk is strange to us. We long to reach our warm hand through the print of our Bible page, pat Gideon's shoulder, and soothe him with, Don't worry, Brother Gideon. God's not really scary like that. If only you had a New Testament. And he goes on. A pained, perplexed look would come over Gideon as if he had just heard a theological ignoramus. (laughs) Love how he writes. And so he did. This sort of talk is strange to us because we have no real sense of the terror and awesomeness of God. For we think intimacy with God is an inalienable right rather than an indescribable gift. There is nothing amazing about grace as long as there is nothing fearful about holiness. That's what Milt referenced to in Isaiah 6 Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And yet, God, in the midst of this fear, the God, the Lord, speaks again now I don't know the angel vanished then the Lord is speaking you can work and try to figure out the timing and how all that is was he was just an audible voice beside him I'm not sure but here it is in verse 23 because now the Lord the Lord Yahweh speaks to Gideon and says but the Lord said to him peace be to you do not fear you shall not die so here's this mighty God in whom no sinner can stand before His holiness. Not a weak and least of these Gideon, whose dad is worshiping Baal, by the way. And so I assume Gideon does, or at least he did. God says to Gideon, Peace be to you. Shalom. Right? That's, that's that sense of peace. Gideon is welcomed into the presence of God by God's grace, working itself out through faith to have eyes to see who He's before. So, now that Gideon had seen the Lord face to face, would he die? And the answer is just, it's the opposite. Instead of death, there is a blessing of peace. So look at Gideon's response in verse 24 then, finally. Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, "The Lord is Peace." To this day it stands, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abier's rites. Text, remember where we began in this text? Just a few minutes ago. Maybe it feels longer for you. Where we began. Remember Gideon, verse 11. Where is he at? He's in a wine press, threshing wheat. He's the lowliest, he's the weakest in the clan. That's where he's at, hoping Midian's not going to find his things. And here now at the end, at least of this section, of this moment, Gideon builds an altar of worship to the Lord who is peace. Gideon's lowliness turned to worship. Why? Because God's gracious presence comes with His presence. Comes in the midst of weak and flawed men for his glory. Can I encourage you, moms, today and others listening, with the truths of this passage for your motherhood and whatever else you're involved with and God's calling in your particular life? Lowliness and weakness are a part of life, a part of Apostle Paul's life. We know that part of life until we be gathered to the Lord. But we must, by faith, we want to hold on to God's promises. Here's some of them. God's Word tells us He is with us. Hebrews 13, in the latter part of verse 5 and 6, God says there, "...I will never leave you nor forsake you." So we can confidently say, "...the Lord is my helper, I will not fear." What can man do to me? What a great promise from God's word. God's promises also are this through Christ that God in Christ has purchased our peace on the cross. Remember Isaiah 53 5. I think that's NIV here. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, shalom, that brought us that, it was on Him. And by His wounds, you're healed. That's grace. Moms and everyone else listening, that's what Christ does on the cross. That punishment bought peace for us. It didn't come just because God was having a better day and said, well, I feel like giving peace. Justice was meted out, and it was, cur- it was on Christ on the cross. And Jesus bore that sin that we should be bearing, that we might not bear it, and we might live with that God forever. The glory goes to the Lord for what He has done for each one of us in His grace, that He is with us. We walk out of here. God's not just in this room... And He was with me in worship, but I don't know if He's with me in home or wherever or what situation. He's with us in Christ as we trust in Christ as our Savior. And yet there's more. He sent His Holy Spirit to dwell within us. God's presence dwells. Jesus says this in John 14, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, in my name, He will teach you all things. Will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you today, this May 9th, do you know and treasure this God? Of peace? Or are you yet His enemy and have not come to repent of your sin and trust in Christ as your Savior? Do you know this Savior? Has, you, has He given you faith and eyes to see Him and then respond with trust? If He has, what's the message? Go. Think of the Great Commission. Go and what, make disciples. Go and raise disciples. Children, go in your might. Whatever strength, ability God has given you, go in that. What you have, if it seems kind of small. I'm the weakest, and I don't really do these things well. What He's given you, go with that and use it for His glory. And that's, that's what He does. We just step forward in faith, and we go. And He does the sending, and He does the providing, and we say, glory be to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray for each one hearing this today, including the preacher. Would you give us eyes to see what a God we serve who is with us. We do not go on our own. We do not mother or father or whatever in life on our own in Christ. The punishment that brought bought us peace was placed on Christ and in Christ we have a hope of your presence. And in your presence, you say in Psalm 16, there's joy. And there's joy in the midst of a dark world in sin. Father, grant eyes to see that, eyes of hearts to see you. And may we take the message that we've heard here from Gideon. If we know the Lord is peace, may we take that to the people around us that need to hear this, strengthen us for that task, and may we give you all the glory as we walk with you as you sin. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.